Hello and welcome to episode 208 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Justin Pearson. If that name is unfamiliar, head on over to 31g.com right now. You can stop the podcast. It's helpful, but also not necessary because he's on the show. So Justin was and is a musical force. He's been in a lot of projects over the years and worth diving into his work now with Dead Cross, Death Club, or where I found out about him was when I was a little bit younger and I got into the Swing Kids uh, and then the Locust. So Justin was a little older than me and hearing about his history with punk, hardcore, San Diego, the word emo was again eye-opening for me because I only know so much and I love talking to people that know a lot more than me. Justin was open and honest about how he felt about the scene and an inspiration for myself and hopefully you after listening to this interview. Again, search out 31G. That's a record label. He runs it. It's amazing. So check out 31G. Uh, we'll have links on washedupemo.com. So dive into him. And if you've never heard about it, awesome. Or you have, ride alongside myself, the emo nerd, and get schooled from a legend. This is episode 208 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Justin Pearson. So again, I know we met through like the swing kid stuff. I definitely want to mention that, but just as a you know a precursor, how much do you know about the podcast or the website or the book series or anything, and then we can go from there. Totally, that's a great question because <clears throat> I have seen it here and there, but I and as I think, well, we kind of talked about it like or, like through through email, but like I kind of. I cringed at like the title of your podcast. Totally. And so I also cringe at emo in general. So I'm just like, fuck, you know? So when I would see stuff, I'm always like, eh, not for me. But when, when that swing kids post, I think it was on Instagram or, or Facebook or both or something. And I was like, Oh, that, I, I mean, regardless of who's talking about it, like it was cool. And I was like, Oh, cool. Like rad or whatever, you know, like that's, thank you or, or whatever it was. And then, and then we kind of like talked about it in the podcast. And so then I kind of looked a little bit further into it and I was like, Oh shit, it's like super legit, you know? And like, like I think I mentioned like seeing Guy on, on one of the episodes and stuff. And I'm like, okay, like <laughs> it's not like, cause I don't know. Cause I think the term emo is something that I've never ever identified with and always avoided kind of like, I mean, I embrace the terms punk and hardcore, but those even still like, at times leave a bad taste in your mouth. You're like, what is this? And like just emo is something I never connected with, especially like in the nineties. I mean, looking back in retrospect, I, I see, you know, that kind of music or style as like, a, as like a, a, an entity now, but at the time no one was like, you know, we weren't like we're emo or, or like right. we're anything like, you know, I think we were just like, it was like a, you know, a metamorphosis of something like we were leaving something and going somewhere else. And that, and it just took a minute, at least for me. So not like, I mean, like I was like a cross punk, you know, in my, in my teens, like, you know, and I was like getting, like getting rid of that kind of like element and, and sticking to my politics and stuff. And like, just, uh, sort of, um, opening up a little bit more, you know? And, and I guess <clears throat> that would be like, uh, me, uh, sort of welcoming other kinds of music, not like uh, only like pissed off hardcore or something or, or, or whatever, whatever you want to call it, grind or punk or whatever, you know, like, so I was kind of like, Oh yeah, like this is rad. And, and also too, like, um, I mean, in my, in my 
I hate the word career too, but in my musical career or even like with running 31G, my, I've always identified with Fugazi, Discord, and specifically Guy as, as sort of like a, um, a North Star. Like, okay, like this is a good example of like things, you know, like all things like considered. And, and obviously like Fugazi fits into that realm of like emo or, or something post, you know, punk post or hardcore. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, that's, that's so, it, so it was, so I, I totally get that. And I hate, I hate the name. I think if I named it anything else, if I named it, you know, um, you know, a uh, laptop blog, I feel like I yeah. would be so much better off. <laughs> I could, because this isn't just emo. Like if you saw the list, like you saw, like it's punk, it's hardcore, it's, yeah. you know, yeah. totally, quote unquote yeah. emo yeah. bands, but like, probably, I think it's safe to say that like, musically like hit like well historically i guess i guess musically and historically it emo is traced back to rights of spring i mean i don't know if there was something before that that like kind of embodied that um sort of vibe or, or whatever yeah I, I it's definitely it, so. yeah i feel like it's but it's remember it's all these pieces like i loved metal i loved hardcore and i think probably the same time you got out of it i did i was like all right well this is boring you know what's next mm-hmm. And I think yeah. for I never got out of it though. I just think I tried to reinvent something. Oh, I got what like, you mean. Reinvent myself, you know. Yeah. Like, funny about like the metal and stuff and hardcore because when I was in Swing Kids, we um, needed a second guitar player, or I think I thought we needed a second guitar player, and I kept asking Aaron Richards, who was one of the original guitar players at Antioch, to join Swing Kids, and he kept telling me that we were too metal, and I was like, "What the fuck, man!" Like my band before that struggle was like a metal band. Like, how come you? how come you're pinning that shit on me right now? I'm trying to like not be metal. And, you know, I mean, it just, I guess it's all like your um, perception of things. Cause are your reference points? Cause I right. thought Swing Kids wasn't metal, but even listening back to it, it's like, I could kind of see why he would have said that. Did you maybe when, <laughs> yeah, but I guess I would love to California scene is something that I haven't, I haven't been able to dive into cause I was so far away, you know, and it wasn't like I could pull up YouTube or pull up wiki and what about that sort of gravity records like socal what did that what did that feel like did it did it feel like you guys are doing something or it just happened to be we're doing our own thing and that's it the scene in general no, not just swing a, kids that's a pretty interesting sure um well it's it's weird because um there's two things on that point that i think are are important for what came out of southern california but specifically san diego and <clears throat> there's this film Damn, I think it's called. Um, I think it's called. It's gonna blow. And so, and, and Ian McKay's in it. He's talking about. He's relating D.C. to New York and San Diego to Los Angeles, and he kind of has this like idea. And I'm paraphrasing, but like that. Um, that the, that the two smaller cities are, are you know, like um, D.C. and also San Diego are kind of in the outskirts of like this major metropolitan, you know, entity that's like churning out art and music, or whatever. And so, like, we're in this like sort of in the, in the shadows, it's like a Petri dish where it's like that we can kind of breathe and move and, and mutate and create where like, maybe if you're in the grind in Los Angeles, you don't really have the ability. So there is like that sort that perception that I think is, um, that is, that is accurate to an extent and, and, and sort of relevant in the bigger picture. But then there's also the fact that I think that San Diego is like a fully fucked up conservative, uh, like tourist city and, mm-hmm and doesn't really have a very welcoming platform for a lot of arts. And so it was, 
especially for younger people. So when we were growing up, it was, it was, there was no venues except like, you know, there was like two and there was um, a lot of Nazi skinheads and there was, um, you know, like a, a, like a huge military presence. Cause uh, you know, like even in high schools, like most of the students were, were part of that. I went to were part of like military families. So it was, it was like, um, it wasn't like you could just be a punk or a weirdo or like an artist. Like you, you, there was like a lot of conflict. And so people were, um, had, I don't know, like kind of felt like, I feel like it was a little more dangerous and like in what you did. And also with that being said, like all of the, the fringes of, of stuff, like, let's say, you know, cause I was really in, like when I was in middle school and high school, I was really into punk and I, and I, but I had to, not had to, but like I was, I was friends with like all the skaters and all the cholos and like all the people that were kind of, um, not necessarily like, I didn't have like, a, like a lot in common with them. I had something in common with them, but we all kind of stuck together because there wasn't, um, anything for the youth. And if you were not into like mainstream garbage or stuff or whatever. So, so then I think, you know, starting to playing music and stuff, it's like, we would play with anyone and we would play anywhere. I mean, we play like craziest shit. I just went, this friend of mine who's a farmer just was like, Hey, I, I put on this show, um, in, um, nine, 1990 in, in Tijuana and your band played your metal band. And it's like, you know, it was like, Oh yeah, struggle. We played it. It was, it was so weird that, you know, we went to TJ and played in this like little court area and it, wow. there was no, um, like no, no other, like, um, punk bands like we looked fucked up like t- to everybody it was like just all like just like you know working class mexicans like in this quad area i have no idea what it was even about but there were like a bunch of political banners and it was a thing about like socialism and 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 and, and workers like workers rights and so we were we were i, mean, I was you know 15 <laughs> it was fucking crazy to like go wow. and play to people that i i and and it was weird because no one was like no one seemed psyched on us but no one di- didn't seem offended or, 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 or like, or like, um, you know, they didn't like not care that they were indifferent. They were kind of just like, okay, like these kids are here making this racket for a cause that we all are here for as well. And so it was a strange, strange vibe. And it was definitely an eye opening experience because then it was like, then I started realizing like, oh yeah, we'll just, we're just going to play. Like, I, I remember also too, maybe, um, a few months after that, we played this thing for earth day and it was at this place called camp land on the bay and it's where people tourists go and they like you know it's campsites by the by the bay of the ocean you know and um but we played with a reggae band and jello biafra gave a lecture and it was like and it just made sense you know like there was not everybody kind of just like we all got along with obviously with jello but like with the these dudes in this in this weird like funk reggae band they were super down for the environment and and like kind of left leftist politics and stuff so we we just all it just made sense to everybody and so um that's kind of how san diego is you know and then later on like in, you know, in the locust like we you know we we go out on tours rocking the crypt or or fucking andrew wk or whoever you know it's like okay like this is fine we'll just do this and, and it you know probably doesn't make a lot of sense on paper and maybe isn't even a great idea um in retrospect but we just figured like sure like why not like we're friends with andrew wk let's go on tour with him i mean his fans weren't psyched and eventually we were we realized we weren't very psyched either but but it seemed you know like a reasonable thing to do <laughs> so right and also um, that what, yeah i mean you kind of you kind of band together when there's an entity like that like the military like having that huge presence down there um and you're kind of 
anyone that isn't that, that isn't almost like programmed, you feel like you have this connection with. Yeah, but so I, I guess like if you take into perspective geo, geographically, you think, okay, there's, let's say, um, I don't know. Trying, well, okay, so I grew up in Phoenix before I moved to San Diego. So in Phoenix, it's a smaller city and, and, and you kind of, um, I mean, I was a kid, but going back and touring there, I, I, I kind of got a different perspective of things, but I remember like, um, you know, so you, you kind of, again, you try really hard to find a community to, to fit in with. Right. So, but with San Diego, I feel that we we're so close to Los Angeles that we had, we did have a lot of like, br- like brushes with like cool shit. You know, we were like, um, all this really weird or um, interesting stuff would kind of, kind of sort of, um, peek in, you know, um, sometimes bands would play here or we could go to Los Angeles, two, you know, two hours away and, and see these things or whatever. And, and so that we still had this, like, um, this way to, to really take in, um, elements of culture or musical, you know, musical culture or whatever. And, and, um, and still kind of take away things. So, so like a good example of, or going back to like the DC San Diego um, mm-hmm. correlation or connection, I guess would, would be um, how I think how influential discord and probably specifically nation Ulysses was on San Diego and, and that shift in the way that punk and hardcore was perceived because I think, I think it's safe to say that nation Ulysses like fully um, influenced um, a lot of people that were affiliated with Gravity Records, specifically Antioch Arrow, and then also, you know, Swing Kids as well. And so, but at the same time, we also kind of saw those elements like in Rye Coalition and um, other, I don't know, like even, and even like a few years later, like obviously Refused looked like they were from San Diego. Totally. So there things like that that would, would pop up. Um, but I mean, I mean, I wonder where the root of it all is. So I feel like there's like, so, so, you know, Nation started something um, and, and, and it, and it seemed unique. It was seemed very, it was very punk, but like, you know, if you saw them on the streets, you wouldn't be like, Oh, there's a punk band, you know, cause they don't have like leather jackets and, and Mohawks. They, they looked like mods or, or with suits or something, you know? And so it was kind of, kind of a trip, but it was, but that, uh, that like element seemed like um, punk in root, you know, in, in their roots, because you look at bands like, I don't like crime or something, or, or, um, I don't know, maybe even like, um, I guess, you know, I guess Devo might be an extreme, um, you know, uh, I, uh, like example, but, um, um, we're, a, or James Chance and the contortions, you know, like there's like a dude playing sax, you know, it's kind of weird and not really like right. punk rock, but it's pretty fucking punk. And so I think that was kind of where we were able to grab our, um, influences from, you know, and, and also too, I think early on, man, I feel like, San Diego got this, uh, the bug with like weirdo shit, like the birthday party and, and, and heavy, like into like early PIL and stuff like that. So where it was, um, which I guess is like post-punk, but that also like helped to really, um, steer the direction. Cause you know, you look at like a band like Antioch Arrow, which is fully a hardcore band, but like, I, I think that they really were taking cues from bands that weren't like obviously punk and hardcore in, 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 um, you know, I guess like on paper, you know, but they, they definitely were. Um, so I think we were just able to be creative. Uh, we are, we not, not that we were able to, but we were allowed to be. So, so like, I, I feel like if we were in Los Angeles, it, it probably wouldn't have happened. There would have been pressure or as easy as it did. 
Totally. Because here we were just like, we'll take whatever we can get. Right. Fucking do whatever we can. I I think that's totally true. I mean, that's why like Long Island, New Jersey, Connecticut bands had a little bit more time to experiment. And yet, you know, New York was a stone throw away. Um, And I feel like that. Yeah. yeah, That's really interesting. I think what's um, I was going to mention is, you know, we were born on the same day, which is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And. I what what was interesting when I got into punk and I want because you were, you're older than me when I first saw like Bloodlink or Ebullition is that how you pronounce it Ebullition yeah yeah Ebullition I I have trouble with ease I like stutter ease so every time I say it I'm like did I just fuck that up um, what about like <laughs> those like seeing the Bloodlink comp or seeing their you know ads or something like reaching out to those guys and getting that stuff to happen like give like was it was it months was it weeks was it uh like how how did those how did those things for i mean i definitely remember letters i didn't always have email i remember that world but like just even finding it is is insane that's a good question because i also trip out on the fact that at that time it seemed like everybody's band was like around for two years and that was the lifespan and now two years would be a blink of an eye and you're like what the fuck just happened that band right. is gone already but i mean you know struggle was around two years swing kids two years crimson curse two years you know, andy ecker was probably two years i think heroin was probably two years like everybody was just kind of like two years you know but we were all like 15 16 17 18 and that was and that was it you know and a lot of times it was like, oh, someone has to go to school or like move away for college or fucking whatever, you know? And so I think that um, also, too, when you're only alive for 16 years, two seems like a long goddamn time, you know? But when you're alive for 45 years, like two seems like nothing, you know? So it's it's a strange thing to kind of tr- try to put into perspective. Um, but for me, it was, um, you know, playing shows, seeing Downcast, meeting Kim McLeod from Abolition, and then him saying like, Hey, do you want to be on this compilation? Which was the give me back compilation that struggle was on. Um, and that was like kind of my first, um, time I ever really, I, so as soon as I like discovered, um, obtainable, like sort of, um, underground music, uh, in San Diego or even before San Diego, I mean, even when I lived in Phoenix, I, I met some, some bands and stuff. And so it was like, weird being like 10 years old and being like, Oh my gosh, these, this, these people are in a band. Like that's, that's cool because before that it was, you know, it was like David Bowie or, right. or, or kiss or whatever, you know, and he, I was, you were never going to just meet them at the, at the mall or, you know, like at the, at the skate shop or whatever, you know? So it was, um, so it was kind of like meeting these people and then, and then them saying like, Hey, you should record and be on this compilation. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, okay, we're going to record, you know? And then it's figuring that out. And then, you know, kind of went from there. And, and, um, I mean, same with Scott from Bloodlink. I mean, he was, I think we pretty much like met because we were, we were both like into being criminals and like we were, he put out this magazine called retrieval Inc, which is just about like ways to scam shit and like steal and stuff. And, and we became friends and it was totally crazy because, um, fuck, it's probably like in what years story. Was that? And if it, and if I'm going, uh, I was, um, uh, 91, I think. So I was 16 um, when I met him and I had just started driving and I went to meet him for a few reasons because he made the retrieval Inc um, magazine. And I was like, Oh shit. And in that magazine, it teaches you how to steal from vending machines, like soda machines and, and stuff like that. So 
we would take these tape dollars with with um, duct or packaging tape on these dollars and stick them into the vending machines and pull them out and we'd just get like tons of money and we would do that on tour all the time and that's how we kind of that's how we survived because i mean none of us well some of us had jobs but we didn't really like have like regular jobs and we were trying to tour and buy you know buy gear and, and stuff like that so um um so we there's this way to steal and so so um you know, through vending machines. And then, and then we figured out that you could do the tape dollar thing in postal vending machines, which is super fucked. Cause that's like a federal offense. And <laughs> we, we were like stealing tons of stamps and, and shit. And, um, so I would steal all these stamps. This is crazy too, because, so I would go to these, this post office every day and steal the stamps out of the machine. And they would, and they would re- replace them. And I would go in every, every night, uh, at a, at a code to get in. So to, cause I had a PO box. And so I'd go and steal the, the mail or the, sorry, steal the, uh, the stamps. Um, and then I would trade the stamps for records, but I would trade the stamps in double value for records. So I would write, so I, discord was the main thing. And I would, I would tell discord like, okay, I want to take all these records. Um, what's the wholesale rate and I'll pay twice the amount in, in stamps. And so like, I just started this big distribution, you know, like for take, to, you know, like to take to shows and sell. So then, so, so I was like, into distroing stuff. So then Scott comes around. He's like, Hey, I'm in, I'm in a, I don't know where he was. Like he was, he was in LA, like Orange County. And he's like, you want to meet up? And I was like, sure. And I drove up there to meet him and fucking total weirdo. And um, this is before Bloodlink, I think. And he, and he was like, Oh, I'm bootlegging records. Do you want to, do you want to buy any of these bootlegs off me? They'll, they sell really well. And I'm like, how are you, you know, how are you bootlegging records? And he, he figured out a way to do it with the matrix or the scribe on, on, from one certain pressing plant, he could call him and say, he was, say he was the person that was, um, that put him out. And then, you know, cause he, he would know. And so he was like bootlegging all these shelters, seven inches. And, um, and I was, you know, I was like, I was already kind of like on the Sam McFeeders tip of like hating Krishna and stuff, especially in hardcore. So I was like, fuck, I'll sell these, these shelter records for like kind of a lot of money. And, that was how we became friends, just by being criminals, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I think I'd like to say that I was a bit more ethical. I don't, I'd have never bootlegged a record, um, but he was into it and was able to see bootleg records. So, what um, about those labels? I don't know what maybe people don't know or what people because I just you know I only saw the ad or maybe a you know one record or two, but then you know they sort of. You know, like you said about the bands, they're around for two two years and then they're gone. Or yes, some labels are longer, but yeah. they almost have this like public conscious. What about those labels? You know, stuck with you. What do you mean? Meaning, like, what did you learn from them? Like, what did you take to th- what did you take the three one G or what oh, did you yeah, take yeah. to do? You know, swing kids later or you know, just sort of those yeah. early on people. You see how they do something. Yes, you can scam a. <laughs> soda machine which is i totally remember that but yeah like what did you what did you take from them well that's a good example because scott bybin was was like a huge um like learning you know like i learned a lot from him like and and i don't mean this in a negative way but i mean it in a very honest way i learned a lot of like what not to do from that guy so like um because the the weird thing is i grew up with like um um you know like my, my friends were were the people that ran gravity records and vinyl communications and um even even like knowing the the people at profane existence and stuff at the at the time it was um or even lookout you know um 
those are all like really cool, influential labels. And so I, I had a, and, and, and especially being on ebullition was, was like the main thing because it was, um, it was like, there was a very, it was very, like, it was very, um, um, open. Like you like, this is what you do. You, 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 I don't remember if they paid for shit or how, this is how much that you get. And this is what you receive. And then you will get, you know, like I just, you knew what was happening. It wasn't like sketchy or whatever. So, so, and also the quality was really good. You knew what, you knew what it was going to look like. You knew your, you knew your record was going to be done right and, and distributed right. And like, be part of a cool ass thing, you know? So with Scott, it was like, you know, he, he wanted to do the struggle under toe split and he didn't really, you know, he didn't pay for the recording and he changed the labels, label artwork and he changed the cover. And then, you know, we couldn't figure out how many was selling and we never got paid, you know, and then only like at one time I brought up to him, like, dude, you never paid any of us. And he just gave me like 50 bucks. I'm like, this is fucking weird. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, like that, this is like definitely not what you do when you run a record label. And so, um, you know, it's, it, 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 I, I learned like, okay, there's, there's a sense of professionalism. And even if you're not a huge label, you know, a big label, like, like discord or something, you, there's a, there's a, there's a way to run your label. And, and you, you know, I don't want to burn anyone. I don't want to piss people off right. and, and I have pissed people off and I've been audited and shit over the years. And, and I've always kept, to my shit and be like, this is it. Like, uh, you know, this is why you're not making money. This is why, you know, like here's all the, here's all the, you know, here's all the receipts. So like, I'd rather be honest and, and, and have, and be able to like, and be able to cover my own ass than, than just kind of be weird in, in this murky sketchy area. You know, I just, I was always kind of like, this is how it is. And, and that, that, this is how it's, you know, like, this is how it's going to be. If there's any problems, like let's, let's deal with it. You know, it wasn't kind of just, right. I didn't really want to avoid people. And if someone ever said, you know, you know, like blood brothers, they wanted their record. Okay. We'll take your record. And they sold it to epitaph and that that's how it is. You know I mean? I, I don't, I don't, I think if someone, if someone wanted to take a record, then, then they can have it. I don't, I don't want to be like that. And, and I've wanted to take records from labels and I have. And so that, you know, I, I just, I guess being in a band and a label, and running a label gives you a really interesting perspective of things where, where I think if, if you don't do both, you, you, you might not have the, the sort of emotional knowledge of, of what it's like to, to kind of see your artwork changed or something, you know, I mean, even like kidney room, you know, James Spooner at the time, Razzle Spooner is awesome. And I'm so glad we got to work with him. He was a fucking rad ass dude. And he does really impressive shit now, but at the time it was like, you know, ch- changed the cover artwork and he, and he made t-shirts with, with his, you know, record label on it, like, and the, like brown and orange and shit. And we're like, dude, we're, you know, like we have an aesthetic, like an artistic vi- vision. Like not only are you just doing random shit without asking us, but you're not like, it doesn't look cool. It'd be one thing if like he was like just randomly doing shit that was like cool looking, but so it was, you know, it was kind of just like a, a thing to, that's what, that's what I took. You know, that's what I was, that's what stuck with me. Like don't fuck around with people's shit. Mm make it, make it right. You know? So, right. What about somebody, um, what about for yeah. someone that doesn't know about gravity records? What would you, what would you tell someone, you know, if they asked, Hey, what, what was that label? What was that about? Well, fuck man. I mean, culturally, I feel like that thing should be so much more, you know, known and, and, and it's, and it, with the things that it did and influenced uh, are, are just insane. And it's weird because 
I don't think it gets enough credit. And I also feel, I also like will tell Matt Anderson, like, dude, you, you did this thing that like, that nobody had done before. You know, I mean, it was, he doesn't, you know, he's very humble and, and, and I, and I appreciate that. But at the same time, I'm like, man, you should fucking own it, you know, or I don't know. It's weird, you know, because you know, a good example is the, is the heroin seven inch in a paper bag. And it's just, like you can't get like who the fuck comes up with that, you know, and you can you come up with that when you're when you're creative and you're cutting corners and doing like it's that that's the thing. It's like they, they did something unique and on a budget and it turned out awesome, you know, and the, and later on the first Danny Arrow record cover with the spray painted cover. It, it, I think those are like easily the most groundbreaking record covers ever. Um, and, it, and it's so such a simple idea. Um, those are the things that really were um, effective. But even before, like, kind of gravity was doing that, you know, it was it was Vinyl Communications um, putting out stuff like um, that would always have rubber stamps on them, and that was a thing, like with rubber stamps. And even you know the first three one G release, which was the Unbroken and Fall on Proverbs seven inch, was what rubber stamped. <laughs> not that I, you know, I mean, I love not being um, original, uh, but you know that's really what Unbroken wanted to do because that's a good example too with Unbroken, who I guess might fall into an emo category. They seem more metal to me, and, and at the time they were straight edge, but um, you know they were on new age, and it was elder stuff was very very professional and like high gloss and like very. Um, like a real band on a real record label. And, and their whole thing was, you know, Eric Allen wanted it to look like shit, you know, and he wanted it to look like it was a gravity record. And I don't mean shit in a bad way, but like yeah. he wanted to make it look like it was like it was done in, you know, in the, in the basement of someone's house that that's poor and, 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 and an artist, you know, and I think that was like a really cool thing that they, that they did because it, it set them apart. And it also showed, I think the larger world of hardcore, where they were from, where their roots were, because, you know, all, I mean, heroin might not seem like it, but like they were, they were playing, they always played with heroin or they, I mean, uh, Unbroken always played with heroin or, or, um, or click it to Akitawi or something, you know, and it, and it made sense. And, and that was, everybody was like on the same level, you know, or the same community or team or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, I think that was um, a really smart move on Unbroken's part. And I don't think it was a calculated move. I think they were just like, we want to do something that looks like it's a gravity records release. And that was fucking cool. You know? And I was, and I'm glad I was, I was part of that. Like, cause I loved, or I love gravity records and I love unbroken. So it, it made sense, you know? And, um, I think they should be talked about yeah, so much more. I, I just, why aren't they mentioned <laughs> in the can? Like, I just, it seems crazy that it's almost like this. It's almost like no one mentioning discord when they mention indie. Well, yeah, I mean, because... Is it just the time? Well, Discord, I guess Fugazi gets it, though. Maybe Fugazi gets the, the recognition that, that Discord doesn't. I think, I don't know. That's Maybe that's a bad point. example. I'm just like, trying to think I mean, of, like, these labels that... Sorry to interrupt, but I, I don't mean that, like, Discord... Like, that's maybe no. a bad example. But some smaller label that, like, shaped a country, a sound, like, an area. Like, I, I feel like it just, it's, it's just not mentioned enough. Yeah, but maybe, I mean, I don't know. What about like Trouble Man or something at that time seemed like they were part of it? Because when it, when it was happening, like when Gravity was a label in its, in its prime or whatever and, um, and, and everything in the world was going on, it still, it still sort of made, like it, it made sense, but didn't seem, um, 
Yeah, it wasn't legendary yet. It was kind of like, oh, there's these fucking weirdos putting out these paper bags seven inches, you know, over in the corner of the continent or the, you know, of the country or whatever. Like, yeah. and that's, that was like the extent of it. And it wasn't until 20 years, you know, later that, that, or 30 years later where people can reflect on it and be like, oh fuck, that was groundbreaking, you know? So I think that like, um, so, so why do people not notice them now is because there was like, there's time that's spanned. I mean, for me in growing up, and, 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 and like the sort of realm that I grew up in, it was always kind of, kind of like watching a band, like refuse to get really popular and be like, what in the actual fuck, you know, why does, why are people not like talking about any arrow when they watch that, you know, new noise video or, or the first, whatever big video they put out, it's, it fucking looked like any arrow, but with a lot of money. And that's, that was a weird thing to kind of see happen. And, and so I think it's just because, um, you know, and I am friends with them and I'm obviously friends with Epitaph, but, um, you know, Epitaph picked it up and had the money and pushed it and, and pushed out this thing. No offense to Epitaph, but they didn't, I don't think they knew. I still don't think that Brett Gerowitz probably knows what Antioch Arrow is. Maybe he does, but you know what I'm saying? Like there was no reference point. It was just kind of right. like, there's this fucking new crazy ass thing. Let's market the shit out of it. And, and, and it worked, you know, to some extent. I think a lot of it is like, is like time will keep it alive because something will happen. Something will be referenced at a, at a point, and I don't know if this is public knowledge yet. So there's a there's a label that I'm friends with that's that's pretty big, and they're reissuing um, this the San Diego band's anthology, and um, and I was kind of like, wow, that's weird that they're doing that, but but it's but it's because I don't know if they're that big on a, on a, on that level of, of, you know, re reissuing this thing. And who's it going to ap- appeal to? Like, it, like if you take nostalgia out of it, it might not be a, you know, cool or whatever. If I heard that band today, it might not make a big deal to me, but I grew up with it. So, so I think that it takes something like that, discovering something from the past and pushing it out there again and be like, Oh, check this shit out. You know, because I don't know, like, I remember, I remember at one point like discovering this heat and I thought like, this is fucking crazy. This new band. And I'm like, Oh wait, shit, this is from the seventies. You know, this record's working on the seventies. Like it's not new. Uh, and it was just, it took a minute for like someone to put it out there and it became like kind of cool in a, in a, you know, in a, in an underground way and certain for certain people or whatever. So I, I think that it might just take like one person or entity to kind of revisit it, to make it, um, to make it popular or, or at least better known, you know? Um, Hey, if you need an exciting new record to look forward to, Iodine Recordings, the Boston-based record label, is releasing the 30th anniversary edition of Quicksand's classic debut, Slip, on vinyl. This is the album's first time on vinyl in over a decade with completely remastered sound. This deluxe gatefold edition with Slipcase comes with a poster, a deluxe LP, and a 64-page hardcover book. The book chronicles the album's history and has commentary from Anthrax, Hole, Rise Against, Youth of Today, Papa Roach, and more. Experience this iconic post-hardcore record in a brand new way with the 30th anniversary edition of quicksand slip available for pre-order now and in stores on march 31st 2023 and since they returned in 2021 iodine recordings has released almost 20 albums to date from bands like stretch armstrong the darling fire one line drawing jerome's dream sulker fire and more head on over to iodinerecordings.com for more and follow them on instagram at iodine recordings but i don't i mean i don't know i remember like um fucking swing kids like no one liked swing kids when we were a band it, it was it was weird and i remember going on tour in europe and playing this festival and it was it was i mean 
at the time it was fucking terrible. It was like every band was like metalcore. It was in Europe and every band was metalcore and, and even refused. They played and it was when they were like, I think in their victory record space. So they looked like all the other assholes that were there, you know, there were people like <laughs> just making fun of the way we looked before we even played, you know, and there was one Italian band that got to play, I think like sort of added last minute and they played after us and, and I felt bad for them because they were even more artsy fartsy than we were, you know, in comparison to all these, you know, the vegan straight edge moshers. And it was, I just remember like being like, fuck this shit. Like fuck all these people, you know? And it was probably one of the most epic shows that that band that, you know, that swing kids had played. But, and and I think, I think part of it was like the way that we performed was because we, there was so much sort of contrast to the, you know, to whatever. And so all the weirdos that were there just fucking went nuts and it was, and it was great, you know, but it was crazy to see like, uh, you know, cause a lot of people said like, well, it wasn't until swing kids played with refused in Belgium, you know, then they changed and then they started looking like, you know, you guys or whatever. And it was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I still don't think that even like a good, a good example is like pe- people do equate, you know, refused to San Diego stuff, specifically San Diego or swing kids. But I don't know if it's even like when you're part of it, it doesn't, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, they kind of looked like, they kind of looked like they were from San Diego, but they never sounded like it. I don't think the change the change shape of punk to come sounded like a, it couldn't have been on gravity. It seemed too hardcore or metal or whatever, like hardcore, you know, it didn't yeah. seem like, it didn't seem like fucked up enough. Like, uh, like click attack tally or something or whoever, you know, I mean, it, did, it, did, it wouldn't have made sense to, to, to a lot of people. If you're in that world, you know, it kind of, it kind of seemed like, okay, well, there's this popular band now all of a sudden refused who look like our friends, but, but you know, they don't sound like any of our band, our friends bands or anything, you know, they, they didn't sound like nation Ulysses, you know, they, they, too, they were too hardcore and polished and, and right. metal or kind of, kind of sounding. So, um, but to the outsider, it's just like, they're just like, what the fuck is this crazy shit? I know. Cause they, you know? cause they because haven't they seen shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe they only had seen Madball up until that point, and then, and then that happened. You know, that that would that would probably blow your mind. So, I mean, especially like in Umia, where they were from. Totally. <laughs> but you know, like if you're like, you know, from Umia, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, there's this thing happening. Because I remember, like, I remember being on that tour with Swing Kids, and you know, talking about you know, Born Against and Nation Ulysses, and people are like, who the fuck is that? You know, because they only knew of Madball and like whatever, like. Snapcase or some I don't know whatever band like you know like Justin I just want a podcast of you <laughs> saying random hardcore bands with disdain I think that would be worth a download I love it <laughs> Well I don't mean I never, I'm just I mean, messing I with you I love it I actually I said because I did a right when, when I think maybe when you posted the thing about Swing Kids there there was this thing on No Echo where I talked about. Um, Swing Kids, and, and I mentioned this time right at the end of Struggle, right before we broke up, and I and I and I I think I came off as talking shit about Strife, and I didn't mean to, and and <laughs> and then on and then on like on like their on like No Echoes Instagram Strife's like in a fucking really rad way, it was like huh, you know, like they weren't like fuck you, and, and so we got in like to a I don't know which member of the band it was, but like we got into a conversation, a healthy conversation I think, and I was like fuck man, I totally was a dick. But I was telling this story about them, and I just said I I never got into them, and that that I think that's I think that's fine. I, that's I never said fine. they weren't bad. I never thought they were bad. I just never really got into them. No, that's so fine. So even with time and place, Snapchase, right? I don't know. 
Yeah, but I've never even heard Snapcase. I mean, I've heard them, but I don't. I wouldn't know. Like, oh yeah, I don't like that. I don't know that I don't <laughs> like it. I just don't know about it. <laughs> and that's fine. Madball, I know I don't like. I'll say that. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's so funny. No, it's like it's the those factions of 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 hardcore and like, you know, I think I was in that. Maybe I'm a little younger than you, so I was in that phase of like, okay, this is the first thing I heard, and then when I realized, oh, there's other stuff, I left it aside. Um, and I think that's where yeah, you were already past it. You were already you were already on your way. No, no, no. Everything was so fast then. You you know, like two years seemed like a lifetime. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're 18, it's like two years is a long motherfucking time. People not mentioning Nation of Ulysses or these other bands, and then years later they mention. Do you do you think there's? Do you feel okay with that association with the word again, or does it still have a stank on it? You know, I don't really personally. I don't care. I just for me, I just you know, like with the word emo, I just avoid it. Like I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not like I'm like, oh my gosh, I wreck, I like that resonates with me. Like I need to identify, like I just was kind of like, I don't know what that is. Like, I don't know. I don't identify with any, anything. I don't think, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean like, yeah, I don't think, I don't think I can identify with anything. And even going on beyond that, like how, you know, like, again, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm bagging on refuse because we could look at them broken and be like, you know, those fucking dudes looked like Morrissey. They sounded like entombed. And then they did this new thing that like, right. you know, it's like, what is that? Or, or I don't know, like the first cattle decapitation lineup, you know, like sounded like carcass. And they were like these, you know, vegan, like, you know, San Diego, like, you know, weirdos or whatever. And like not, you know, grind or whatever death metal. And so, I mean, it's just, you, again, it's, finding something new and making it your finding something and making it your own, I guess, you know, finding something unique because fucking swing kids just ripped off in my opinion, ripped off drive like Jehu. And I, sorry to say that to the rest of the band, but like, I mean, Eric <laughs> Allen wanted to fucking be John Reese. So that was that, you know, but, um, it, it you know, it happened and, and I don't think we really like were aware of it and it wasn't, you know, I'm glad that it happened then because then i once once swing kids ended and we started the locust i mean the locust whole agenda was to sound like crossed out and we fucking didn't accomplish that ever and that's cool um i think that you know you have a launching point and hopefully you can launch really far away from your you know initial idea or whatever yeah one thing i i want to talk about the locust because i also in related i loved your book um I Thanks. I I'm I'm a voracious reader, but I usually like just read at night or whatever. And I think I I don't remember when, but my girlfriend was like, "Why are you still carrying around this book?" And I was like, "I got to finish it." And so like anytime there was like a moment, I would go through and I loved, you know, your writing and I would just love to kind of hear about the process of this book and and your, you know, your um, honesty and the, I mean, it, it, um, I just, I, I just loved the book. It just, it, it, it spoke to me in many ways. So how did it start and what was it, was it, was it hard for you to get this stuff on paper? Thank you for one. Um, and I kind of look at it like a, like a record that I put out a long time ago because I, I, I wouldn't want to, I don't want to, if, if swing kids were to say like, Oh, let's redo this record. 
you know, I'd be like, fuck, we got to really, let's make it better. You know? And I, and I do look at it kind of like that. Like that book was fine or whatever, or whatever. I didn't know what I was doing kind of, which is sort of how it was most of the records I've recorded, but with the book, I didn't know what I was doing as a writer. So that was, a. I think if I could go back and, and make it better, I would, because when I put out my, my, my second book, um, how to lose friends and irritate people, you know, it's not the same topic obviously, but it's, it, it's, I think my, my writing ability became a little bit smarter where, um, I think, um, fuck, I don't know. Like, I think I was, a, I think I was like a shithead in my, in the way I wrote some of the stuff, like who gives a fuck about like probably at least 40% of what I wrote in that book. I, to me, that's how I think of it. Mm-hmm. Like we could probably trim the fat and get rid of a couple stories in there that are just dog shit. Like it doesn't matter. The, the cooler stuff, you know, is, is really like, I don't know, you know, talking about like the Jerry Springer thing was pretty interesting or, or like, um, you know, talking about like how I identify with skateboarding culture when I was 10, that those things are, those things are cool. But for the most part, a lot of it is just like crap. Like I didn't even need to write about it. So, so why um, did you, so in that time, but that's how it worked. Right. So at that time you were like, these are important stories. I guess so. I mean, I thought they were because the thing was like, I, I was on tour and I wrote this, um, I wrote this, uh, tour diary for a, for a publication. I don't remember what it was, but for whatever reason I had emailed it to, um, to John Waters. I don't know why he, 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 and he was like, cause we were, we had, we had become friends and, and he was, he's like, you should, you should write a book. And I was like, about what? He's like, that like what you just sent me and i was like i don't know how to do that and he just said oh just write one story he's like just write a story and i was like okay i don't know what the hell he's talking about so i wrote this one story about it's in the book it it changed a little bit but it was the first thing i wrote it was about me being obsessed with kiss as a little kid and, and going to thinking i was going to see them and my mom like duped me and bought me like pez and like didn't fucking ever take me to see kiss and i was i think i was like five or six and i and i probably should have gone. I think, I, I think I needed to go see kiss at that age and, and, and experience that. And so anyhow, I wrote the story and, and I sent it to him and he goes, there's a start of your book. And I was like, what in the hell? And so then I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to do that. And then, so I just, I just kept writing these like smaller stories, like these chunks of like a thing. And then, and then I had a bunch of them, I don't know, 20 or something or 30. And I, and I put them in order in chronological order. And then I, and then I filled in some gaps and then, and then, and then I was like, Oh shit, this is like a, this is like a whole bunch of stuff that like I experienced in my life. And so that was kind of how it came together in in an odd way. And then, and then it was like, again, kind of working like, you, you know, it's very similar to putting out a record on a label. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, I know what it should be like. So let me reach out to this, a friend of mine, you know, that, that works for this, this publishing company. And I, I, I really wanted to be on AK press. I, I, I love that publishing company and a lot of their books and them as a distribution, um, network is, is, um, was very important to me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to hit these people up and fucking hope they do it. And, and apparently, um, it's like a anarchist collective or something. And so they all have to vote and it has to be unanimous. And, and someone said it wasn't a pl- political enough. And I, and, damn it it's not political at all like fuck this like what damn it i want to you know but it was through that that someone recommended um this other publishing company soft skull and that me i'd already known about soft skull from some of their some of their published books um bomb the suburbs and uh i think the author that did another one called um no more prisons and i was really into 
um, that guy's books. And I remember kind of getting them and they looked and had this, they had this vibe. They kind of seemed very similar. And inside it kind of, or when I ordered them, uh, those two books, it said, you know, Oh, these other books we published. And so I remember just kind of like tripping out on the publishing company and just ordering shit that I never heard of. And and I felt like that was kind of how it was when I discovered alternative tentacles and, you know, cause I like, I like the dead Kennedys. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking into like no means no and stuff, you know, and bands that I'm like, I don't know what this is. It just sounds cool. And buying shit and like hoping for the best, you know, and also too like not having expectations. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I was going to ask about the locust and the DIY do it yourself, uh, you know, things. What about Molly from lookout helping? It was a little more pro, uh, or what, what helped, what, what did she bring to you guys that you wouldn't have got, or you wouldn't have, sorry, wouldn't have, um, you know, done yourself. Well, so I think there was a few things that like, uh, one is we initially met her through Bradmobile and became really good friends with all of them. And that was kind of like the, the cool, the cool part of it. Like, Oh shit, you know, Bradmobile, that's rad. And part of this, you know, part of like the riot girl scene and stuff was, was interesting for us in San Diego and specifically us in, in the locust. And it was cool to kind of um, embrace something that was a, a bit more like an element of punk that's not masculine. And that was, that was really important to us. So it was, it was cool to kind of align ourselves with Ratmobile, which we, who we toured with, you know, and that was kind of strange in itself. But even before that, uh, I was in this band called brain tourniquet briefly, and um, we were going to do a seven inch on lookout. And so I was, so she was kind of already on my, um, you know, on my uh, radar, I guess, as like a musician or, a, or an artist. And, and, um, and then at some point she kind of just hit us up and was like, Hey, do you, you guys, do you guys want management? And, and I, and I think we all kind of realized like we needed it. <laughs> Cause I mean, none of us knew what we we're doing and we were, we were just kind of, we were just like all on like full throttle always. And that, and, and, and like every part of life, you know? And so it, so it was kind of like, we just needed someone to say like, okay, hold on. Like, this is what you need to do. And that way you can kind of um, monetize like your efforts because, you know, again, it's like, even it, even it like, I don't know, whatever year that was that we started working with her early to mid twenties of, for, for most of us, like uh, we were still kind of um, very naive and, and um, not that I think that we ever, maybe in retrospect, we might not have even have needed a, a manager per se, but, but it was, there was a, a step up because like, right. It was, we got a booking agent finally. And that was kind of incredible for us to experience, like to go on tour and go like, Oh my gosh, we're going to get paid this much for each show and, and not worry and not be like, fuck this, pr- this promoter didn't pay us or the show didn't happen, you know, or whatever, because that was a common thing. You know, I think right before we had started working with Molly, we did a tour with Arabon radar and we've showed up in Oregon and the, and the, the kid just never like was going to put on the show. And, uh, and we're like, dude, like this sucks, but it really sucks for Arabon radar because they're from fucking the East coast. And I remember them like somehow talking this, you know, kid into coming to this, to this pizza, sh- you know, the shithole pizza place we were at in Oregon, just to, just to like see him face to face and be like, why, you know, did you not ever consider putting on a, a actual show. And then, you know, and for, for whatever reason, like I think Craig like talked or demanded or threatened the guy to like, give him a check, you know? And I was like, this is bizarre, you know? And, and I, and I didn't want to run into that stuff anymore. So it's kind of like now we were working with Molly. We got a, we got a booking agent, which was, 
rad. I don't think we would have ever been able to do that on our own. Maybe, maybe would have, but, and then, and then she helped, um, sort of, um, you know, negotiate all of the, our, our stuff with, um, initially with anti, and then again, also with Ipecac as well. And then, uh, you know, put out, you know, records on, on killer labels with, a, with like a lot of support. And, and then it was like, you know, kind of started learning, but not fully. Um, like she was, I think she might've been like too lenient at some point because mm-hmm. we would, we would just kind of like put a record out and then like, well, we'll tour, you know, or like, we're not doing it like by industry standards. We're like, okay, the record comes out. We got to go on tour like this long on this album cycle. We kind of would just, we were still like just doing everything all the time, you know? So I, I don't know if we, if, if we, if we had done it differently, we might've been better off, but regardless, I mean, we did it and we did our best and then here we are and we're still a band and still doing stuff, you know, a, little, a lot slower now, but still doing stuff. So, I mean, I think that she really did help us. I mean, she's not, you know, managing bands anymore and, and, and whatever, but like, um, I don't know. I think it was cool to definitely move into that territory. And then the fact that, you know, I think also to go, not to trivialize things, but like she was impressive because of, you know, the bands that she was associated with the the music that she played, um, the other bands that she managed, you know, like, um, the Donna's and like Ted Leo and totally the locust, you know, like that's fucking cool. Like that sounds cool to me. Like, I don't want to be, managed by the same person that manages i don't know like whatever metal bands or something you know like i don't like no offense to any uh, bands i don't know who their managers are but like it's kind of like a booking agent that like just books all hardcore you know like fuck this is kind of a bummer you know because we were trying to um not fit in you know with anything and and that and that meant like every way possible because it was pretty tiring to go on tour with where like they just put locals on the band on the bill that are, that are just like, you know, that sounded like a second rate daughters because they thought it, that's what we wanted to play with. And we're like, no, we won't, we want to play with like really cool shit, like innovative stuff. Like we want to tour and play with, you know, like, um, like, like Quintron or, or, um, I don't know, like Les George's Leningrad or, or whoever we would always end up touring and playing with like just weird shit that was, like, you know, again, like doing splits with Melt Banana and splits with Airborne Radar were like, was our jam. Like, we didn't want to be pigeonholed into with other bands that had blast beats. And, right. You know, we, you know, if it was up to us, we wanted to be the only band on a bill list that played blast beats. Right. That's the, and that's the part that I think for, you know, whatever you know, punk or also hardcore, you know, it started to be, I worked at a hardcore label and it's like these booking agents would put these tours together. I'm like, this is great for the one fan that likes chugga chugga breakdown, but where's the, you know, where's the other type of band that's going to bring someone else. And it just got so, it just got to be almost like the same band four times. Sure. Because that's what was selling. Yeah. And it's safe, right? Safe, safe for the promoters, safe for the agent, like, I don't know. I don't know if that, that, that doesn't do it for me. I want to, I don't know. I want to see like diversity and I want to see rad shit and have there be like a unique common thread. That's not obvious. That, that was always really important to me. So three, one G can you talk about some of your favorite releases and, you know, and I mean, you are doing a little thinking back. You did just announce, you know, the anthology for swing kids. 
<laughs> okay, so I, I do sort of struggle with, uh, no pun intended, but I, I, do, I totally have a problem with like, um, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've been sitting on this like Swing Kids anthology record for a while, pa- partially because I'm broke as fuck, but part of it was like, I don't know, does it make sense? You know, I mean, the vinyl's been out of print for a long time. We probably could sell more. That's that's fine. But like, um, I didn't really know that it needed to happen. And and and, and I don't think anybody in the band um, would make it happen. So I just kind of kind of waited. And then, I, you know, I just, I don't know, for some reason I felt like, it's it's cool you know i think maybe i think it's i think it's cool i think it should come out and, and people might appreciate it and and i and i and um you know i kind of put some effort into something unique like you know we had it remastered and i think it sounds um a lot better um i wish i had the tapes because i would love to dig into it and get it remixed but the, those we never had we never were able to obtain so um you know remastering it but then also just kind of making a new layout and also uh, including the last seven inch that the band did after Eric Allen passed away. So it kind of had, it's everything. And, and then, and then having a layout that was um, really modeled after uh, a proper blue note record label release, which is, which was like our initial idea when we started the band, like to kind of, you know, like that again, like we were, we sounded like Jeremy J who we looked like, you know, the Beatles and we wanted to be like, uh, uh, you know, John Coltrane or something, you know? So it's, it was kind of weird, but, um, but it looks like a blue note record, you know? And I think, so I was like, this is, this is cool. It's, let's put this out. And that was, that was that, but it's, um, I mean, we're, we're about to reissue some cattle decapitation stuff, which I think is like yeah. totally relevant to me. Like, I, yeah, I love that shit still. Like even just getting the master to human jerky, I was like, fucking this stuff is really, really good. But, um, I mean, I'm a bigger fan of putting out new stuff. I, I, I would prefer to put out new stuff uh, and it sucks because uh, all the older stuff would, is what sells. You know, if I, if I could afford it and if everybody in all the bands agreed with it, I'm sure we could probably sell a lot of some girls in Holy Molar or whatever, Unbroken or, or whatever. But like, you know, I just put out a Geronimo LP and in a, in a, an Innis record and, and, and no one fucking bought them. And I'm like, dude, those two records are so goddamn good and like no one's buying them. It's, sucks so i mean it is what it is um i i've been like on this um tip or trip lately about um like kind of mentioning uh like birthdays for um releases so i mm-hmm. I'm, i have this list and i'm like oh shit this came out today i recently did one for warsaw's raw sensitizer album and that's probably one of my favorite records that 31g's ever released and i and i'm pretty sure that the majority of people have never heard it and it's crazy because um, it sounds like, I don't know, like Converge or something, but it's like only two people and it's fucking super ripping. And, and I think that, um, I think if everybody that liked Converge heard that, they'd probably all buy it and, and, or anybody like like I don't know, the locust or something probably buy it, but, but for whatever reason, it's, it doesn't sell, you know, people aren't, um, I don't know what the problem is, <laughs> but I've had the same problem. Cause there's a lot of shit that I don't know about, you know, I just, it is, it is what it is, but, um, yeah, as far as like favorite releases, I mean, I guess I kind of stick to like the re- the recent stuff because that's it's newer and it seems cooler. I'm like, wow, this is I've never, you know, I haven't heard this for 20 years. Like, this is awesome, you know. <laughs> um, but um, I mean, we we did a cool Keith seven inch, which was kind of 
blew my mind. The fact that, you know, it's like, I just was obsessed with, um, Dr. Octagon in, in, you know, my early twenties or mid twenties. And then all of a sudden like, shit, we're going to put on a cool Keith record. So that was cool. And like, um, sometimes certain packaging is, is really rad. Like I did this project with Nick Zinner and we put out this flexi x-ray, like, you know, like transparency, like flexi record thing. It looks like a broken, it looks like an x-ray of like a broken bone. Um, like, I mean, musically, whatever, but the packaging looks super sick, you know? And I'm like, I'm psyched on that. Um, or we did a Met single and I think that that's probably one of my favorite bands right now or uh, uh, existing bands, you know, like not, you know, like a broken up band or whatever. Like they're just, I think they're incredible. And, uh, so it was really cool to work with them. Um, which was, an, which is also another interesting story because they hit me up and they're like, Hey, we want you to put out a single, uh, we really, you know, um, like, uh, 3-1-G and, and its lineage and this and that. And we're also going to do one with Swami. And I was like, what the hell? That's so weird. Like you're hitting up two San Diego labels to do your, you know, these, these singles with you. And, and like, I mean, I was all for it, but I was like, it just kind of sweetened the deal. You're like, wow, this amazing band that's popular, you know, big and they're on sub pop and they're, they don't need to do this. Like reached out to two cool San Diego labels or, you know, well, two San Diego labels, one cool one and three, one G as well um, to do these singles. And I was like, this is awesome. You know? So those are things that kind of mean something and have a lot of value to me, I, I suppose. I think for, for you to like, I, it's almost like you're the labels, the band, you're so proud of, you know, your new stuff and, you're, you're, you, I want, you know, you're going to do the anniversary <laughs> post, but like, yeah. you're like, tell, I want to tell you about my new kid. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a, a, a really relevant thing uh, for me. I think, yeah, because people do kind of just want to like, you know, like, let's just, let's like, you know, let's talk about the older, let's, you know, that's kind of why I was like, oh, swing kids, like, ugh, you know, like, not that I don't appreciate it. I mean, Eric Allen was my best friend and, and right. I, and I love Jose. Jose's my best friend too. I mean, fuck, I love everybody. And John Brady, everybody. And even Jimmy Lavelle is like who did, who later joined the band. Like I love those people, you know, and I, what we did was so um, important to, you know, to us or for us or whatever to, to, you know, in life in all kinds of ways. But like, but beyond that, I think I question it. Like, is this good for the, for people to listen to? I don't know. Like, and then it's a trip because like occasionally someone will be like, you know, you'll like, like swing kid saved my life. And I'm like, what in the fuck? Like wow. why or how, or I don't know. Like, and I don't mean it like in a disrespectful way. I'm just like, and I'm like, thank you. You know, thank you for saying that. And I'm really, and I'm really flattered. And I, um, I'm glad that I was able to help in some way without really realizing it. But but I do wonder like, wow, oh, it's weird. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's like, um, you know, meeting, uh, you know, I don't know when I was a little kid and I met Lux Interior, I was like, Oh, you know, you know, like that or like beating John Lydon or whatever, you know, like that, that shit like, um, changed my life, you know, or, or saved my life or whatever, like saved my life. Like those are things that are really important. So I, I, I guess, you know, I, I just don't equate it as something as like, um, groundbreaking or, or important as, as maybe someone else does, but it, to someone, it that means something, obviously to someone the 500 copies of that album meant something to 500 people, you know I mean? It's cause it's like sold, sold really well. So I'm like, that's okay, awesome. that's cool. There's 500 people. So yeah, if, I, I, Justin, I almost heard your energy in the book. 
I like, or in, you know, the, the post from three, one G and even just this conversation. And it's like inspiring. And I just, I hear this fire still like, does that, does, do you, do you, do you still have a thousand ideas you want to get done? And, um, all these things, or do you feel like, you know, you feel like the, the, the knees kind of sore a little bit and you're maybe, you know, quiet one day, or is it, I just, I, I don't know. I, I hear the fire and I just, I think, I don't know, like you need to do Ted talks for kids labels or something. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, I mean, I don't know if I could, I don't think I'm up to par with being on a Ted talk, but I would, that would be like, <laughs> I could probably call it after that. That would be so sick. But I mean, I, I you know, like, um, I think a lot of it is, um, a good, a good example is, is, is I think, um, there'll be someone that is a guitar player and they, and they play this kind of, you know, certain kind of music and they, and this is it. They're identified as a guitar player in this band and that's them. That's their, that's who you, you go, you go, Oh, so-and-so that's them. And, and so for me, I was kind of like always interested in other things. So it was, um, and, and not even realizing it, you know, like, like I wanted to do uh, a cartoon voice or I wanted to, you know, uh, you know, act, or I, I wanted to start a project with a hip hop producer or, you know, I want to like, um, you know, go out and like embarrass myself with, with DJs or fucking whatever. Like, you know, I like, I want to try these things like, and see what happens. And, and I want to try to write a book or like, I don't know, whatever. So there, there's, there's all kinds of shit that I want to do and and still do it. You know, I mean, I have stuff to do t- tonight. Like I have stuff to do because I have to go record tomorrow. And like, those are, these are like, you know, it's not like, Oh, it's the, it's the guy from uh, the locust, the bass player or this, or one of the singers. It's, it's like, no, I want to be like that, but also these other things too, you know, because it all, it, it all of that stuff, um, I think affects me and makes it, you know, interesting to me. It's a good, exa- I guess a good thing is like, I remember at one point, like looking at, at the locust specifically um, and realizing, Oh, every, this is when we were a five piece when, when before Gabe was on drums and he was on guitar and realizing that everybody in the locust was like in La shock and in not everybody, but people were in La shock and they were in cattle decapitation and, you know, Holy Moeller and, and um, you know, did all these other things at the same time. And then we, we brought those elements, you know, because to me, when you listen to the locust, you can hear cattle decapitation and you can hear Le shock and you're like, fuck, that makes sense. That's, that's cool. So I think that like, I, I appreciate that. You know, I don't want to, um, you know, like going and working on planet B stuff with, with Luke Henshaw, who's like, who does like hip hop and Cumbia, you know, like, um, I want to go and bring what I know and work with someone and, 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 on a, on a hip hop record and sing like I do, you know, and, and see what happens. Like it could totally suck, but like I'm into trying it. And they, so I think that's the thing that, it, that I have going for me, maybe in, in my mind I do. Cause I mean, a lot of people think what I do sucks or they don't like it. Uh, and they only want to hear one thing, which is fine. But for me, it's like, I'm, I'm like, Oh fuck, I'm, ex- I'm excited to do this new thing or this different thing, you know, with these other people. Cause there's a shitload of people I still want to play with and work with. And I haven't got to that point yet. So, I don't know. Who's yeah, next? Still, I guess there's still fire because there's a ton of stuff. I don't know. I'm still waiting for Mets to let me do a song with them. <laughs> I'm like, let me sing one of your songs or something, you know. Um, but I, I don't know. There's tons of people. I would I like to um, – it's been like I've always talked about working with, with – like uh, like I've always talked with um, Dave Stone and, and Zach Hill kind of like a thing, and that never happened. And um, I don't know. Like uh, there's a lot – yeah, there's tons of people that I would love to work with. Uh, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but 
Maybe I will some someday. You got to put out in the world, Justin. Yeah. I I'm totally open to whatever I can, <laughs> you know, whatever presents itself. I'm into it. Cool. So, yeah. Awesome. That was perfect. Yeah. I hope you had fun. <laughs> yeah, of course. It was great. Um, I, I do like looking at things in a, in a, in a, uh, practical linear perspective, you know, and, and, and trying to find like, and try not to be a dick about it or, <laughs> or try to be like smart or something, you know? So uh, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the fact that, you know, you even mentioned the swing kids. Cause I, before we put that into production, I was just like, all right, here we go. And then I'm like, Oh fuck, actually people really are psyched on this. That's strange to me. Um, so yeah, I mean that's cool. I, I appreciate I appreciate you. I, I think that, that that movie I don't know if you've seen it. It's pretty good. Called It's Gonna Blow came out. Yes. And, um, I, I I I've told Bill the director, but like it's it's great, but it kind of focuses on a little bit older than 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 my um, you know age bracket or whatever. And so in the documentary, it's like Rock in the Crip and Drive by Jehu and A Miniature and you know and like you know, these are these things. And then it's like, Oh, and gravity records, but back to like rock, rock in the crypt. And you're like, <laughs> fuck man. Like where did the gravity go? Like that's right. weird, you know? So I think like there's little pieces and it, it will happen. I mean, maybe it'll be this documentary, but yeah, you know, I think it'll happen at some point and those things will get noticed and they, and they, and they, and they, um, and they should be, you know, or fuck it. You know, the people that know, we know, and right. we we're lucky, you know, right. you gotta, it's like, it's like that, I guess. No, you're, no, you're right. Maybe it's, it's not for everybody. You know, I hope that there's a younger kid listening and going, Oh fuck. I want to check out three, one G like what I didn't know about the plot to both the Apple tower. Like, and then they like go on some crazy, yeah. you know, um, thing that, 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 that we did. So what you've done has been amazing and, um, it's just been really rad to, hear your story thanks man i really appreciate it and i appreciate you just even being uh interested in 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 me you know especially with the people that i do and even don't know that you've done podcasts with it's cool to kind of align myself with them um i i do appreciate that um i do a podcast called cult and culture and i had jason hammerker on one of the episodes i love jason he comes up and yeah me too his his podcast episode is so fucking crazy and and gee comes up in the in the podcast in the most insane story i've ever heard and i was like i just couldn't believe we were even discussing him in, in this in in context if you get it if you have an hour and you want to i will it out, it's called cult and culture and the, the episodes are Jason. yeah but when gee comes into the story you're just like what in the fuck like this is wild you know like so anyhow it's yeah uh Gee's rad. Jason's amazing. So that's cool. Definitely cool.